listening now to the 28th episode of MageCast. Yes, that's right, we're almost to episode 30. This episode is ultra special because it's going to be wrapping up our mini-series on the uh, Chrono Games, Chrono Trigger and Chrono Cross. This time I'll be sitting down with Gareth from 16bitdad.com. Gareth is an award-winning retro gaming and parenting blog blogger, writer, streamer, personality, podcast guest, radio show guest. He's done a lot. His website has lots of tips for new parents, as well as plenty of retro gaming, reviews, coverage, and treasures. You can find him streaming on Twitch and on Twitter at 16bitdadblog. Gareth and I share differing views on a few different subjects, but that's what enriches our conversation. We're able to champion civil discourse and civil discussion by sharing our thoughts and having uh, really just an enjoyable talk together. So I hope you enjoy it as much as we did. And here it is. Hi listeners, this is MageCast broadcasting from Dimension X. This is the alternate universe version of Moses Norton, a.k.a. the Well-Read Mage. Today we're going to be talking about a game that has to do with crossing parallel dimensions. Not so much the chrono part, but the cross, definitely. Uh, We might get a little cross in our discussion today. We do have some deep-seated hateful disagreements. No, just kidding. <laughs> we have we have a, a competition of two games, uh, of ideals rather, that we're going to be discussing. So I'm very excited for this episode. We have back, as mentioned, the ineffable, the inexorable, the, in- I gotta say that word again, the inexorable, thank you, the unspeakably awesome, award-winning 16-bit dad. Thanks for coming back on the show, sir. Thank you very much for having me back. Yeah, the, our last uh, conversation was quite enjoyable. We discussed Parasite Eve. Um, so this time we're back to discuss another one of your favorite games, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Easily one of the top ones. It's top ones. So uh, you did a top, uh, was it 100, top 100 favorite games? 101, I think. 101. You got to get that one in there, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so do I don't remember, and I beg your pardon. Uh, what what number did Parasite Eve occupy on that list? Do you know off the top of your head? I think Parasite Eve was between ten and fifteen. I can't remember the exact number. Okay, so that's pretty high. And then what about our subject today, Chrono Cross? I think that was number seven. Number seven. So top ten quality here. That's yep. great. That's great. And we all know you're number one. You recently appeared on a podcast discussing your number one game. Yep, Kudelka. Um, always has, always will be the best game ever made, in my opinion. Awesome. <laughs> so uh, what? So you're, you're, you do a variety of, of things. Uh, you've appeared on podcasts, as mentioned. Um, you do some streaming. You're going to be streaming uh, Final Fantasy 1 later, that's right? That's correct, yes. How's that going through the whole so thing. Far? We're, well, so far I've well, I spent some time grinding, so now we can actually get through the rest of the game. 
once that's finished, we're going to go through every single Final Fantasy game. Nice. That's awesome. Spin-offs too or just numericals? Spin-offs too. I am going to subject myself to Mystic Quest, I'm afraid, but <laughs> it's all for the audience. Okay, so so you you sort of answered my question there that I was going to ask you, but uh, what is your least favorite Final Fantasy? Uh, let's say numerically, because numerically, we'll, yeah, okay. we'll we'll get the <laughs> side spinoffs aside. Okay, um, I don't want to be generic, but it's got to be thirteen. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, yeah, that's that's. I'm sure you have your own individual reasons. I won't accuse you of bandwagoning. I play it myself. <laughs> I have I have individual the thing. reasons as well. The bandwag- to be fair, the bandwagon is 13 is the worst game ever, and anyone who says that has not played Mystic Quest. Right. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah, I've not played Mystic Quest uh, myself. Recently, Don't. we had a mage that gave an, a middling review to Mystic Quest based on uh, its intent and purpose. But I think, as we were sort of discussing earlier, uh, you and I, likely the people that are listening to this podcast... Um, aren't really the target audience for Mystic no. Quest. <laughs> like, I'm looking forward to my four-year-old playing Mystic Quest, and maybe it'll grab him and get him to play better games. But, uh, yeah, I think we've kind of outgrown Mystic Quest at this point. So yeah. your least favorite, so favorite Final Fantasy now. Which one are you looking forward to playing most? Now are we doing? are we still saying numbered? I will say numbered, just to keep it okay. fair, yeah. Because my favorite is not a numbered one. Um, Tactics, right? Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. My favorite numbered one is a tie between six and eight. Okay. Well, I can take that. My favorite is, is six. So <laughs> <laughs> that's good. We're getting off to a good start on this podcast. Um, so, guys, check out 16 uh, Bit Dad streaming, uh, especially if he's going to be going through the entire Final Fantasy canon. That's amazing. Um, so, spin offs, you're doing uh, Crystal Chronicles then, right? Yep. Are um, we'll you do... even? Oh, go ahead. I so say we're even going to do the Dissidia games eventually. Oh, nice! Wow. Are you even doing the Final Fantasy in name only games like Final Fantasy Adventure, yeah, Final, Final Fantasy, Fantasy Legend? Legend. Yep. Oh wow! Yeah, that's awesome. Gonna... It's going to take me years of streaming, I think, but <laughs> we're going to do every Final Fantasy game all the way up to fifteen and the FF Seven remake. But you kind of you kind of mix it up though, right? Uh, you, so I mean, you're going to be playing these chronologically, right? In order of release. In order of release, I think, yeah. Okay. So, but you mix it up. So it's like sometimes you do because I see on Twitter you promote a lot, and you do. Sometimes it seems like you're covering an RPG, or some nights you're doing a different game. So you kind of have palate cleansers and that sort of thing. Yeah, because so that I don't basically get worn out. I've got. I've got four different days that I stream, and it's kind of there's a schedule around it. So you've got the Shadow Kadoka and Shadowheart series, the Final Fantasy series on another day, um, Persona Five on another day, and then on Sundays we stream a random game. It's chosen each the week before from a list that everyone can add to. So cool. user generated content. <laughs> cool. That's great. That's exciting. Well, today, as mentioned, we're going to be talking about Chrono Cross. Uh, have you streamed this game before? Um, I think I streamed like an hour of it maybe a year ago. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, time for a revisit for both of us. But Chrono Cross was released in 1999 by Squaresoft. I also looked up, um, so as several listeners may know, 
we just finished um, a trilogy of episodes on Chrono Trigger. Um, it was kind of an opportunity for us to um, not only discuss the game, but to introduce um, three guests that were going to be uh, creating um, TWRM family podcasts, Philosopheraga, SideQuest, and an as-yet-to-be-revealed show. Um, so this was a game that we all sort of were interested in and we wanted to discuss, and so we spread it out over time. When, uh, when Mage commented, Slipstream Mage said, are you ever going to do uh, episodes again on games that don't have Chrono in the title? <laughs> yes, we are, <laughs> eventually. It took a while, but... Uh, next episode, we're probably going to be discussing uh, Zelda 2, so look forward to that. But um, in those Chrono Trigger episodes, we made a big to-do about uh, the Dream Team and what made Chrono Trigger special in terms of its development. It almost killed some of the people working on it. Um, it almost drove, I uh, learned today, Masato Kato insane uh, with the pressure that was put on them. Um, but the Dream Team was this uh, combination of talents, um, Hironobu Sakaguchi, Nobu Uematsu, Yasunori Mitsuda, Yuji Hori, Kira Toriyama, that put this game together. So one of the questions that I had in coming to Cross is what members of the Dream Team did they carry over? How significant of an effect would that have on Cross? But one of the most inter interesting things that I learned today uh, and throughout the week in, in researching Chrono Cross, was Chrono Cross is not a sequel. Did you know that? It's, yeah, it, it's it's a loose, loose spin-off sort of thing, I would say. Right, so I've played this, how many times have you played through Chrono Cross? 10 to 12. That sounds about as many times as, I, as I've played through it, too. It used to be like a once-a-year game for me in the 90s and early 2000s. I played it all the time, especially with the New Game Plus yep. um, thing. And by the way, I don't know why New Game Plus reminded me, but every Mage cast is a spoilers cast. So if you've not played this game, beware we're going to be discussing spoilers. Okay, so you can let it all out, 16-bit <laughs> dad. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, I, I've played through this game many times, and I always thought of it as sort of a quasi-sequel. Um, evidently... Uh, Masato Kato said that it is not a sequel. It's not to be considered a sequel. Uh, Kato was the story planner from Chrono Trigger, so he wrote a lot of that game. But coming into this game, kind of like his new baby now, um, he said, you know, we didn't call it Chrono Trigger 2. Uh, we called it Chrono Cross. So... Kind of what I want to do is get the comparisons with Trigger out of the way early in this episode. I think that if you come to Chrono Cross as it's a sequel to Chrono Trigger, you have the capacity to be disappointed. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that's one of the... Probably the biggest complaint I heard from people over the years is that they wanted a Chrono Trigger 2, and that's why they didn't like Chrono Cross. But it was never going to be a Chrono Trigger 2. Even if you look at the storyline, while it does connect, it's really small parts of it that connect. Because, it is, yes, it's in the same world, but it's definitely never meant to be a sequel. Right. So, which of these games did you play first? Did you play Cross or Trigger first? Considering how much I love Cross, it might surprise you to know that I played Trigger first. Okay, so but you did play them in order, and that's yep. 
that's an interesting statement there too. So one thing that you kind of run into, and I think somebody actually explicitly said this, is that um, you will like whichever version most uh, that you played first. I yep. I disagree with that. I think that that's essentially saying nostalgia bias, um, and it eliminates the conversation. It eliminates oh, the, the argumentation. Um, it doesn't allow any investigation into these individual games. Um, some people have played only cross. Some people have played only trigger. Some people have played cross first. Some people have played trigger first. Um, but people hopefully tend to arrive at uh, which they like most based on different reasons. For some people, sure, it's probably nostalgia. But I don't think that accounts for everyone. So, um, and one of the interesting things, too, is, you know, these games came out four years apart. So, yeah, <laughs> like, how old are you in 99? Yeah, uh, it's not a huge difference, is it, to be fair? No. I mean, when I think about it, like, because I never had a Super Nintendo when I grew up. I had a Mega Drive. It was, it's, it's just one of those weird things between, like, the US and the UK was that over here, the Mega Drive was more popular. So that's what right. I had. Yeah. Um, so that is weird to me. I don't yeah, know. It's, it's <laughs> a strange thought, isn't it? Yeah, obviously, I you know I'm American. Like I tweeted out a while ago uh, about Super Mario Brothers. I was like, RT, if this game changed your life, and these people from Europe were just like, how dare you? And yeah. I like I was thinking like, what is wrong with people? In oh yeah, they didn't get a lot of Nintendo stuff on time. Yeah. So exactly. So when it came to Chrono Trigger, um, I when I was. A, a young, I must have been about 10, maybe 10 years, 10, 11 years old. Um, my mum's boyfriend at the time basically bought me uh, an imported, from America, an imported PS1 and a bunch of games. And that and it had the Final Fantasy Chronicles or the one that has Anthology, I think it is, yeah. Is it with four and trigger? Because our anthology has five, four and five, but I know you have one with four and trigger in it. Via process of elimination, uh, Final Fantasy Origins has one and two final fantasy anthology has five and six so you're right it's final fantasy chronicles that has four and chrono trigger so that was the one i got and i've just got a just on a tangent that's a bit weird because your anthology is even different final fantasy anthology is different to ours as well so that's oh really why do they yeah. do that why i don't know that's they really don't strange. want us to be one they just want us <laughs> to have these arguments <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I got Final Fantasy Chronicles, and that was when I first played Chrono Trigger. So I played the PS1 version, not the okay. Super Nintendo version. And, and that's then, a friggin' shame, because that, that version's broken. <laughs> uh, the load times were pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, like, that would affect, <laughs> that would affect any, anybody's impression of the game. But I still love the game. It's still, I, I still think it's a work of art. Uh -huh. Um, but then I went on to Chrono Cross and that just captured me far better. Uh huh. So maybe it's because um, I played the PlayStation one. Maybe you know what? That's what I'm gonna say. Just because that helps my <laughs> argument. <laughs> <Just kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> so with Chrono Cross not being a sequel, um, that I think is 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 going to be the first thing I'm gonna say to anyone who has not played these games: is don't go in expecting. Uh, it to be sort of a direct sequel. It is, a, like you said, some kind of spin-off. Um, you also have the added detail of Radical Dreamers, 
um, being sort of an influence for this. Which have you played that one? Unfortunately, I've wa- I've only better watch it. Okay, and that's more than I've done. I've never even watched it yet. But uh, apparently, a lot of the uh, or some of the characters and settings in Radical Dreamers appear in in Chrono Cross. So Chrono Cross, though, has only kind of this. Um, I want to say this tentative connection to Chrono Trigger, um, where I came into Chrono Cross uh, fully expecting a direct sequel. Um, kind of strange that they would put Chrono in the beginning of the the title, because there's not a lot of time-related themes in this game. But I can see you making that like, <laughs> so what do you want to say there? <laughs> um while the obviously the main mechanic is um going th- between dimensions mm-hmm. and that's the, the cross yeah that's the cross side the yeah. chrono bit comes into effect because as you find later in the game that entire dimensional split comes because of that people both the chrono and his team and then later on Balth- balthas is it balthazar i i think so yeah um also playing and trying to create project kid and then though those two different entities playing with time creating the split dimension so actually right. that's where the, the time bit comes in right so it's not as front and center in chrono trigger where the main concept of the game was time travel in this it's uh jumping between parallel event dimensions uh or this idea of a, of a multiverse or a dual verse um which it's like chrono trigger did the time travel thing and you can kind of see why they didn't want to retread a lot of the same ground. Um, it's an interesting approach to doing a follow-up game. And follow-up game is maybe like a good technical term for this. Yeah, I would agree. So that it, it, it didn't have to worry about um, constantly trying to top the original game. It does a lot of things different than Trigger does. Um, it's battle systems different. It's story has different sensibilities and ideas. Obviously it's mechanics are different. Uh, it has different approach to, uh, to characters and developing characters and recruiting characters. It has a completely different setting. So again, when I first came into this game, expecting it to be, you know, a sequel to Chrono Trigger for maybe the first 75% of the game, I was pretty disappointed because I was like, I don't care about this mutant swamp. I don't care about the <laughs> rustic villages. I don't care about, you know, the band Radical Dreamers. I don't care what, why am, what is the connection? Why is this chrono anything? But then once you kind of get toward, I think, the last third or last quarter of the game, right? There's a lot more connection um, there. Yeah. Um, and so like we were hinting at with this kind of the result of of the time meddling in Chrono Trigger, I mean, you got a bunch of kids, a robot, a frog, a sorcerer, and a cave woman <laughs> just like doing whatever they want with the timeline. Yep. And so it makes sense that now you have, okay, now we have timeline problems. Chrono Cross exists because of the events in Trigger, but not in a way that you would expect it to. Yeah, I think that's a fair statement. Okay. So, uh, we covered the first time you played it. This is, by the way, I forgot to say the episode title. I was so excited. This is episode 28, Perpendicular Perspectives. 
because uh, get it, they're crossing. But then, yeah, you're an, you're an eye perspective, so that's great. So, um, what are some of the best uh, traits of cross in your view, and what what are some of the things that make it most unique? Because we got a lot of JRPGs on the PS1, and we've had a lot of JRPGs since then. So, what makes this game stand out? Well, you've already kind of touched on um, the changes to the battle system. Now, that battle system, I don't think I've seen anything quite like it since. Mm-hmm. Um, the Because they take a lot of kind of things that you're used to and they merge them together into something that's very different. So you've got the... Um, you've got a stamina system mm-hmm. where you have three different types of attack or three different levels of attacks, each with a percentage chance to hit. But then you've got seven, I believe, seven stamina bars... So you can mix and match which of those attacks you're going to do, and they each use up a different amount of that stamina bar Mm -hmm. to create a combo and do more damage. Um, So that's kind of cool little thing. But then there's also the, as you use your elements, your magic, that then changes the elemental attribute of the field, which is this nice little oval within an oval thing in the top right, the top left corner. Um, And that kind of changes colour depending on the elements, and then if that fills up to one element, any... Um, elements of that color, say all blue water, mm-hmm. are then more powerful. So there's that kind of strategic element where, that you've got to play around against the enemy who are also using elements. So there's, yeah. uh, there's a lot of strategy involved, more than you'd expect in a normal turn-based game. Mm-hmm. Although that does get into quite a bit of a problem at the very final boss. Um, there's one of the negatives I have to say is the final boss fight. Um, but. I'm just going to go into that bit because I'm talking about the elements that's, thing anyway. That's fine. Yeah, go ahead. And we'll jump around through the conversation. So, as I said, you you kind of fill up this elements thing and it changes the color and the the, the attribution of the, um, of the field. But once you get to the final boss, that comes into a sort of a melody side of it as well because each element has a different sound, a different melody attached to it. And you've got to create, along with the boss's own attacks the correct order and correct melody for a specific item to work in order for you to win that fight. Mm-hmm. So, that, so the final, that battle system, actually it's both, I guess it's kind of a positive and a negative because it makes the, bo- the boss fight extremely difficult, but it also turns it into almost like a puzzle game at the end, which is right. kind of interesting. Yeah. it's uh, So what you've just said is it makes it difficult. Um, I think it creates the potential for the player to be frustrated um, at various points throughout the game. Um, But it is interesting. So that's, in a nutshell, kind of how I feel about Chrono Cross in various areas. Um, To get this out of the way, I've spent the past, what, week and a half trash-talking, essentially, (laughs) as part of my promotional campaign. But to be clear, I love Chrono Cross. Uh, It's... It's one of my favorite games. It was on my top 101 games, too. I could not tell you at what number it was. Uh, but it, I want to say, like, top 50, if I remember correctly. Um, so I love this game. Uh, having grown up in Hawaii, um, playing a game that had sort of, like, tribal Polynesian-esque um, cultures and then having an oceanic setting was really nice and really refreshing, especially after playing Final Fantasy VII, Final Fantasy VIII. They were very steampunk and sci-fi. Yep. And then Final Fantasy IX, that's very, you know, we've seen the high fantasy setting before, as great as that game is. 
Um, so seeing this unique setting was really cool. So all that to say that I think you, you hit on something really important with Cross, which is that it's very interesting and it innovates in a lot of ways. Um, but those ways don't always necessarily um, add up for everyone to the most enjoyable experience. Um, like that final fight, I don't remember too clearly, um, but it is, it, it's with the uh, Dream Devourer, right? It was called? Uh, the Dream Devourer was the DS oh, the version. DS version. What was it it's called? The Time Devourer. Time Devourer, thank you. Uh, and that had Scala inside yep. of it. So it was basically a remnant of Lavos from the first game fused with Scala. Is that right? It's not basically. It actually legitimately is Lavos. With, uh, okay. Uh, but uh, he's absorbing. I'm, I'm going to say he. I'm assuming Lavos is a male. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know sense. what else. Yeah, it, it. there's only um, one. It, so. <laughs> yeah, see, there is, you go. There's absorbing Shala's Charla, power, basically. Uh, and and so rather than uh, feeding off of the evolution of species in Trigger, now it's sort of in the process of eliminating the timeline and fracturing timelines and causing all of this temporal damage by some sort of metaphysical consumption. So the time devourer. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And there's kind of the, again, late game, there's a really significant con connection to trigger. Um, one of the things that I was most curious to see from trigger in cross was what happened to the characters. Um, what did happen to the cast of, of trigger? If you want to break the news to some people, <laughs> um, I think, it's not a happy story. Um, no, it's kind of sad, isn't it? I think Lucas is probably the saddest story, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. So Luca, she um, at the end of Trigger, she turns her home into an orphanage, which is a really nice thing to do. Mm -hmm. And then um, she ends up finding this young girl who's just randomly appeared, who happens to be called Kid, um, which is a big part of Project Kid in Chrono Cross. Um, while raising Kid... Lynx from um, and Hal from Cross find her, but burn her orphanage to the ground, killing most of the children. Um, I think Kid is the only child to survive. Yeah, um, pretty dark. It, it's very dark. The game itself, if you actually look at the story, is really dark. Yeah. Um, Lynx then kidnaps Luca in order to use her intelligence to, I think, open the frozen flame. She didn't refuses, so he murders her. Okay, and to stop you there, <laughs> just to fill in, uh, Frozen Flame was the pendant of Scala uh, that had been that had been absorbing the energy of Lavos through the Mammon machine in Trigger. Is that right? Yep. Okay. And then, uh, but then over time, it get. This is where like. This is why I love the game. There's so much, there's so much plot involved in C Cross, even more than Trigger, mm -hmm. um, because the Frozen Flame it's the pendant. But then that ended up. I'm gonna say Balthazar. I, I know it's not quite his name, but I'm gonna call him Balthazar. I can't remember what, what it actually is. He ends up having that and using that over like thousands of years to build up Chronopolis, this great big, like futuristic city, which is more akin to something you'd see in in Final Fantasy VIII, really, or something along those lines, mm -hmm. or even Star Ocean. 
this great big technological city where he's trying to basically open a gate to Lavos so he can get he can get Charlotte back. But then doing that and attempting that, he creates Project Kid, creates Kid, but then also creates this massive time temporal distortion, which then sends Chronopolis back to twelve thousand BC, um, and then creates the frozen flame in the time of Chronocross. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, so it is a lot and all that stuff is I think where Cross is at its best. Where yeah. the the connections to trigger aren't fully explained, where you have sort of all of this uh world-building lore. It just seems like it's so relegated to the end of the game or the last again the last quarter the last third of the game do you think that that's a tendency of jrpgs uh to kind of just yeah dump it all on the end i think it i think generally is i mean the most obvious ones to look at are final fantasy games and they tend to be quite good at not doing that Mm -hmm. but a lot of a lot of jrpg jrpgs they they like to follow the idea of the character doesn't know what's going on, so, no, so nor do you. Mm-hmm. You learn as the character learns. And I quite like that. I like right. finding out as the character does, because it feels more like you are actually role-playing that character. Right. Because um, if you knew everything or learned everything that was going on around you in Chrono Cross or even in Chrono Trigger, with like, if you knew about Lavos at the start... Right. It would probably ruin that storyline yeah. a lot, and and that's this is a great great point. There's a difference between front loading and end loading. Front loading isn't any more isn't any better than end loading. No. Front loading is like when you sit down and watch a movie and there's a text crawl and you're like, what? yeah, <laughs> like the, the worst part good. of Star Wars. Yeah, the, the, you're gonna expound to me. There you go. The worst part of Star Wars. I just thought of that. Um, it's now iconic. But sometimes, you know, you're you're playing a game and there's so much world building right at the start of it. Um, so, yeah, you kind of don't want too much exposition right at the beginning. You kind of don't want, I think, you kind of don't want too much right at the end. Um, but you kind of want it teased out. And there's there's some teasing in Chrono Cross that's that's quite good. But since we're on the subject of story here and we'll come back to gameplay, um one of the one of the symptoms perhaps of of end loading so much of the world building content uh to my mind is it makes a lot of the uh the intermediary material either seem irrelevant or seem messy and so as i was going through and kind of re rerunning through chrono trigger meant or chrono cross excuse me mentally and looking over some reviews and that sort of thing. Uh, one thing that I was surprised uh, to learn is that uh, Masato Kato um, said that he does not focus on theme or message uh, in the games that he's writing, which I thought was interesting. Um, I think that, mm, I suspect, that might be more of an Eastern uh, tendency than a Western one. In the West, we tend to focus on, uh, you know, the, the central theme and the message, yep. uh, even to the point of bludgeoning uh, the person <laughs> with with the message. Uh, JRPGs sometimes do this too, like the power of friendship. You're like, I got it. Don't tell me the power <laughs> oh, of friendship one more time, or I will throw up. Like, you cannot defeat a giant alien 
freaky monster with the power of friendship. You just can't do it. Okay, but peace and Unless love you're watching My Little Pony. Right, but peace and love and all that. I get the point <laughs> of the message that you're trying to convey. Anyways, um, so in, in Chrono Cross, then I want to ask you, Kato has said uh, that he doesn't, he didn't focus on theme or message here. To my mind, when I think of Cross, I think it starts off really strong. I think it it has really strong ideas toward the end. I can't remember the middle of it. Mostly, I can remember like okay. things in the middle, like the bend of time, uh, Chronopolis, um, the switching to links and stuff like that. Um, but <laughs> where's the question? <laughs> uh, somebody said on on Twitter that Cross is less straightforward. So. It, does that have to do with the, its handling of themes? And what would you say are the themes of Cross? Okay. Um, it's interesting you say about the middle, because the middle bit is kind of the build-up towards the Dragon God, mm-hmm. really. Yes, um, which I do remember. And that's a very climactic, you know, great scene. I remember you're kind of going around the world and finding all these different dragons. Across two different dimensions. Because yeah. they're not all in every dimension, so yeah, it's and then they cross dimensions to create the dragon god. It's it's it blew my mind. Um, mm. So I think the middle is still pretty strong, but I can understand why compared to the start and the end, it's easier to forget. Mm-hmm. Um, in regards to the themes, I think I think the theme is basically don't meddle in things that you don't understand. Mm. I think that's probably the biggest one, and I think it's more of a, I think it's more of a, almost like a self-reflective look back on what on Chrono Trigger because again, if you think about it, like that is an amazing game. I'm not going to say that away, but the development of that game was really hard on people. Yeah, well, and the, <laughs> those developers had a really tough time. Yeah, um, well, if a game puts you in the hospital, yeah, that's a hard <laughs> development time. Yeah, for sure. So I think maybe part of it, but because obviously a lot, as you said, Chrono Cross exists because of the meddling that happened in Trigger, mm-hmm. and a lot of it is about basically fixing that. Mm-hmm. the The whole point of Cross is that you're fixing what happened in Trigger, mm-hmm. and it's almost like it's a self reflection from the developers saying, "We meddled too much in, the, in that first game, and it it it, it had its toll on us. So now we're going to do things differently." Mm. I think it's that theme of don't meddle in things you don't understand because they didn't understand what they were getting into when they made Trigger. They did a brilliant job at the end, but my God, they put themselves through it. Yeah, right. <laughs> Self-inflicted. I really like that. Yeah. That's it's interesting, um, especially that you would take kind of the developmental experience uh, into the themes that are woven into this game. Certainly, you, you mentioned earlier, uh, you referenced, I think it was Trigger, uh, as a work of art, I would say Trigger and Cross are both works of art. Um, and certainly art comes out of the artist. Um, you know, one of the best writing um, tips uh, or quotes that I can think of, I can't remember who said it, is go out and get your heart broken. Go out and, and die. Go out and live. Go out and experience. Go out and hurt, you know, um, so that it's interesting to think that Cross... Sometimes I think Cross might have been retrospectively better received had Trigger not existed because there's that, again, there's that weird, it's not a sequel sort of thing and expectations and all that. But 
at the same time, you cannot have cross without Chrono Trigger in the first place. Chrono Trigger is the breaking of things. Chrono Cross is the mending of things. So as different as they are, perhaps there's a kind of interesting duality to them. Yeah, I think so. And as I say, going back to the whole development side of things, I think maybe there was the reason why they went for the whole fixing aspect of it is that, as you said, it art comes from within you. You go by your own experiences. So when they were putting this story together, the, the world, the, the music, everything to fix to fix what happened in the event of Chrono Trigger, I think they were also trying to mentally fix what they went through. Mm-hmm. That could That's also how I see it. That, that's interesting. And that could also explain the tonal shift that we hinted at earlier. Uh, Chrono Trigger is certainly the lighter game, um, not even just straightforward in, in terms of storytelling, but it's a much, not necessarily happier, but um, it's more of the science fantasy, high adventure. Um, fun is not the right word for the method of storytelling, um, but... I, I think lighter is probably what I'll stick with. Yeah. Um, whereas Cross certainly has much more gravity, has much more... Um, uh, so, like, there's there's moments in Trigger, like when, uh, like when Glenn is turned into Frog, or when you come to understand the, the weight of Megas' loss um, of his sister um, that, that means something in that game. But I think that Trigger resolves in such a way... That you don't necessarily feel it needs to have a sequel, but also you necessarily feel this this sense of lifting when you finish Chrono Trigger. With Cross, though, there's a lot of um, depth of despair. You know, I think of like characters yep. like Gradius. Um, there's a lot of sense of loss, of rejection. Um, there's racism in Chrono Cross or speciesism, I guess, right? With the demi humans and the humans. Yep. Um, so it is a heavier game, and then too, it's the resolution of Scala's um, uh, storyline and sort of what happened to her. Um, now, what the maybe the biggest thing that I wish they had done in Cross was resolve Magus uh, and his whole thing. And the the so what I read is that initially they did have Magus in Cross. Right, and he was supposed to be this character Guile that you can recruit. Yep. Uh, this character was based off of Gil, which is a character in Radical Dreamers. Um, they they chose to leave Megus out because it would create all kinds of complexities for the story, right? Because here you have a character that appears playable in both games, yep. um, but then they decide to leave that for the sake of uh, including all these other characters. So. Um, how do you feel? I am. Um, <laughs> How do you feel about that? See now, I think that was definitely that's that is that is legitimately what what they did. They did remove the Magus elements of the storyline. Like there would have been events of him being Magus. Right. That was all removed, which makes However, sense because the final boss is Scala. It's what he's been yeah. searching for, and so having that. Having that would have been a satisfying resolution to that character, but clearly you could not do that and have 45 playable characters at the same time. I slightly disagree. Okay, go ahead. Because <laughs> have you played the DS version of Chrono Trigger? I have not, uh, but there's the extra content there at the end. There is the extra kind of super secret boss fight. Mm-hmm. 
um, which is against the Dream Devourer, mm-hmm. which is the la- the larvae version of the Time Devourer. Sharla is still there, she is inside it, but it's a weaker version of it. And when you go to fight it, there is a Magus from an alternate dimension trying to fu- already kill it. You and he lose, he gets sent away by Sharla, and he removes he he loses his memories. Right. Meaning that he isn't he technically is no longer Magus. He has no re- recollection of anything that has happened. All he knows is that he is searching for someone. Right. Meaning his entire personality is gone because your personality is built on your memories. Everything about Magus is gone, mm-hmm. and therefore that ties in perfectly with him actually being Guile mm-hmm. and having an entirely different life and ended up being a different personality but still being magus right so i still think i think with that they actually brought it back to the point where he is still magus Mm -hmm. and you do still get that resolution yeah you still get the character guile in the game and he still says things like you know i'm searching for something and stuff like that but there's nothing there's nothing there you you don't get a happy ending yeah they don't state anything right but but when you take that DS event into account, it does make sense that it is still him. Now, the DS version, well, it had to have. The DS version came out after Chrono Cross. It did, yes. So that sort of is their their final say, okay, we're going to give closure to Magus. Because, uh, again, when I first played this, there is no closure to Magus, right? And no, when they exactly. developed it, there's no closure to Magus. So it's sort of like this kind of retcon that they do through through the ds and at least they give you that right yeah that's what i thought i think i think it was the right kind of retcon to do Mm -hmm. personally okay and that's fair okay so that's magus um you know fan favorite from trigger but kind of now attempting to leave trigger aside (laughs) and (laughs) and discuss just cross uh cross of course famously uh infamously for some folks has a rather large cast of playable characters. Uh, 45 is the number that I said today. This is probably the RP or the JRPG with the biggest playable cast that I've ever played. Uh, I heard that Suikoden uh, has a, a recruitable cast or something like that, but I've not played those. To be fair, yes, Suikoden is definitely bigger. Okay. I think it's 108. Okay. Somebody mentioned Pokemon. Pokemon is technically a JRPG. Uh, and like 151 in the first game. Or 150. Mm. Can't remember which one. Yeah, it was. God knows how many now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but now obviously there's a difference. And I'm going to make a comparison to Pokemon, not Suikoden, because I haven't played Suikoden. Um, there is a difference between pokemon and the individual attributes of those creatures and the characters in chrono cross so to get this out of the way uh the characters and the amount of characters in chrono cross and therefore the amount of time that the game can spend developing these characters um is to me one of the weakest parts of the game now what are your thoughts on this amount of characters uh, and what do you think about the inclusion of so many of them? So, I think from a replayability, replayability value, it's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, I think from a customization of your party, it's a brilliant thing. Mm-hmm. But again, as you said, it does mean that they can't quite give all of the characters enough time of day. Some certain characters get a lot. So you've got 
kid, you've got Hal. Um, they get some really well, links as well. They get a lot of character growth and mm-hmm. depth because they are integral to the story. Mm-hmm. But then you get a lot of the other ones, like was it Poshal, the little pink dog? <laughs> I hate that thing. <laughs> the one that yeah, talks like Scooby Doo, yeah, yeah. Who his his story amounts to basically he's a dog that lives in the village and wants to help you, and that's about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you get that you get that great big divide between some characters who have really really in depth stories and some that are just kind of there. Yeah. So, I Cross is a big game. It's bigger than Trigger because of hardware limitations had improved. Um, they could have more space in this game, but I think that having again having so many characters, there's just not enough room for for them in in the story. Um, some of the the quirkier ones, like the mushroom guy, fun guy, uh, or yeah. Mojo, the uh, the voodoo doll thing, are are interesting. Uh, but once you recruit them, the game does nothing with them. Essentially, they become almost like a kind of skin because of the allotment of elements earlier. Um, the only thing unique about them in battle is uh, their three special moves. Uh, but you can give them whatever spells you want. And then on the field, the only thing unique about them is there's a... <laughs> I thought this was amazing. There's an accent generator in this game. So <laughs> so all of the, the accents uh, that appear, some of them more extreme than others. So, you know, Harley's French, or you have the, the lift of the pink dog. Uh, that's actually generated by a code within the game that applies that to the dialogue for specific characters. So they did not actually have to write all of the accents into the game itself. Uh, This code apparently generates it for them, which was like, that's interesting. That's fascinating. (laughs) It's incredible. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, yeah, I would never think about doing it. I was like, Oh, of course they just wrote cha for Korcha and Mamcha and Dadcha and all these characters. Um, But so I read earlier, uh, Kato described the character creation process. Take Pierre, for example. We started off by saying we wanted a wacko fake hero like Tata from Trigger. We also said things like, we need at least one powerful mom or no way we're going to go without a twisted brat and so on and so forth. So evidently, uh, they had to reduce the number of characters during development. They came up with so many characters that they just could not fit them into this game. And certainly there's a level of creativity uh, that's necessary for that. So it seems like with this this roster that you have to kind of um, <clears throat> you have to kind of differentiate between characters that really do mean something to the story. Like you mentioned Lynx, Surge, Kid. Um, characters that appear throughout the story and and have key themes and and develop the story further and characters that just don't like the you know the little martian guy the little fairy character uh i can't even remember these guys names but what are some of your least favorite characters and what are some of your ultra favorite characters in cross okay so my least favorite character is Poshal. Oh, the pink dog. Yeah, the pink dog. Yeah. And it's like... I recruit them. It's Hmm? like one of the characters that's early on. You could just... You you get it so early. Yeah. 
<laughs> you're like, darn it, I gotta use this. I I always get partial just because I like to I like to go through the game at least twice to get every character. Uh-huh. But I never use him. As soon as I've got someone else I can replace for Poshal, he's gone. I oh, okay. just he's just sitting in there and I'm not using him. Definitely the worst in the game. <laughs> My favorite character in the game though is probably Kid. Yeah. Um as a as a young boy, I must admit she was probably my third video game crush. Anyway, <laughs> um, and there was just I just liked her as a character. I thought the because she's kind of like a tomboy East London character almost with the way she talks. It's yeah, just really interesting. Yeah, the, she has a she has an unusual uh, manner of speech. So Kid is a clone of Scala or something like that. Yep. Um, so when did you say Scala and I say Sharla so I apologize for that's that that's alright um, we never have to apologize for the pronunciation of character names in a game that had no voice acting <laughs> well said Yeah, I say Scala because I say school and schedule do you say schedule because you're British no I say schedule okay then just turn in your British <laughs> just card weird. right now <laughs> anyway I don't know a single British person that says schedule oh really yeah, I don't actually know anyone who says it. <laughs> I was under the impression <laughs> that everybody over there was like, get to my schedule. But I guess not. May- uh, maybe if you live in Mayfair. Hmm. Um, Anywho. Really expensive part of London. <laughs> but anyway, back on track. Um, so yeah, Kid is effectively a clone of Scala that Balthazar wanted to use to help get the real Scala out of Lavos. So there's... She's she's a very strange young character that has a lot going on. Mm-hmm. Um, has a horrible life actually in general. Right. Even gets stabbed stabbed by a person who becomes her best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a great scene. Yeah. That's probably actually one of my favourite scenes in the game. Mm-hmm. That's a great scene. Um, yeah. It's and it really shows. I think that because we were mentioning earlier a little bit of a tangent here, but we were mentioning earlier that like the difference in how dark the games are. Obviously, again, spoilers in Chrono. Trigger, we do get that rather emotional scene where um, Chrono sacrifices himself. Mm-hmm. But then, in to step it up once further, you get the hero stabbing the second pe- character, her falling down, and then you actually see the blood dripping from the knife. Yeah, which even goes one step further than Final Fantasy VII did, because you actually see the blood this time. Yeah, uh, I remember um, playing that in my living room, where my mother could easily see. And I mean, like, I hope she doesn't look right now because that is a bloody knife. Uh, yeah, it is. A, it's a dark game. Definitely a dark game. But you're right. Kid has a lot of complexity. She's extremely integral to the story. Uh, maybe one of the most important characters, top three most important characters in Cross. I dislike that the game prevents you from using her for a chunk of it. Uh, after you turn into Lynx, you kind of have to, you know, they kind of make her a goal to, to to find her again. Um, but that just highlights her importance as a character. Um, it also makes sense for the story, though, of because course. Lynx is the, obviously the person who burnt down her, her adoptive family right. and burnt them all to death. Yeah, there's there's <laughs> it, it definitely makes sense that she becomes unavailable uh, after that point in the game. So uh, other favorite characters. So your top favorite is Kid. Uh, who are some of your yep. other favorites here? Um, Glenn would probably be my other fa- other major favorite, but that's from a battle point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, 
he also obviously he Glenn is for those who don't know is supposed to be a sort of throwback to Frog anyway because Frog's real name is Glenn. Right. Um, oh man, that's so confusing. If you're playing this game for the first time, you're like, wait, is this the same guy? Yeah, I think. <laughs> I think it, in in my own head canon, he's a he's a descendant. Okay, that's the way I view he it. Would, in my own head canon, he would have to be right because yeah, yeah can't be the same guy. Um, especially then when you can look at his storyline and how it is a bit of a, it is again a night on redemption. Mm-hmm. Um, but rather than just getting one really cool sword, you you get one really cool sword. But then if you continue the story beyond the redemption, you get a second one, and he gets the dual wield. Right. And he's the uh, that when you're in battle, that dual wield sword is incredible. Yeah, super cool. Uh, yeah, he's a great character. Um, one of those side characters that. Because you could play the whole game without getting him, right? Yep, yeah, you can. Uh, you're missing out though if you if you miss on that character. He uh, his swords were the Masamune and the Einhander. Yep, that's correct. Okay, how do you pronounce that? Uh, I think Einhander. Einhander. Okay, at least I got the I- German. The so yeah, there you go. <laughs> and I think you can get two of them. Oh, if you do multiple playthroughs. No, in one playthrough you can get two Einhanders, and that's how you how you get the dual wield that way as well. Oh, okay. I don't remember that. I do remember the freaking hard fight that you have to fight. Um, gosh, what was his name? It was the night before Glenn, right? Possessed by the power of the Masamune or something like that. Yep, I can't remember his name though. Yeah, but that. But yes, exactly that. That fight is a piece of crap dude it's so hard <laughs> it's so stupid. that was like one of those i'm like i'm never gonna beat this never gonna beat this it's just that hard uh plus you can't grind in this game because there's experience points are divvied out or stat bonuses are divvied out uh at boss fights so yep. if you with branching storyline paths if you choose a path that has less boss fights and then end up at glenn's final boss fight sucks for you because you're not being that uh let's see so i'm gonna pick one off of this list let me go with i really liked starkey in some kind of stupid way (laughs) the the martian really yeah i don't know (laughs) i it was at the time thing if i played him now i'd just be like i'm not using this character i just liked that he was an alien (laughs) and he sounded like marvin martian in my head so um oh a character i really like was radius um, I like the old man theme. I like that he looked like Master Roshi. He watched a lot of Dragon Ball at the time. Um, but yeah, I like that he'd kind of been around the block. Um, so he was a cool character. Do you fight him at one point? Um, you fight one of the two versions of him. Yes. Okay, that sounds familiar. Um, I do not like the character of Lynx. I don't know why. He just makes me uncomfortable. And I'm a cat person too. <laughs> why do i not like links um i like him from a storyline point of view because do you know the backstory of links uh go ahead for the sake of my memory and the listeners <laughs> so way before the start of the game when surge is a young boy he gets re- injured i can't remember how he gets injured but his dad then takes him runs him to the frozen flame to try and heal him in chronopolis the frozen flame heals Serge, sends him away, but then takes control of Serge's dad and mutates him and then cr- kills him and creates links from him. 
based on the fears of Surge or something? Because there's the whole thing of the panther, right? Connection to Liz. Um, yeah, it, yes, that's correct. Based on the fears of Surge from the, from a, a panther attack that he had, it created... It took his dad's DNA, his fears, and created Link. Freaking... Okay, so you have a, a clone of Surge's dad infused with the fears of Surge based on an attack, a panther attack that he'd suffered. And then he switches bodies with him mid-story too. That's, yeah, that's a lot to wrap your head around, right? It yeah. is. There's <laughs> yes. a lot There's a lot of, of um, far-out ideas in, in Cross. And I like that they played around with those things. I like that, you know, you have this idea of, of Kid being a clone and you have the idea of all these broken timelines and you can visit, you know, pocket universes and that sort of thing. Really interesting idea. Um, you've also you've also got the fact that, and this kind of goes back to something that earlier we were talking about um, when it comes to like the themes of the game, um, going against fate because you have lit- a literal computer called fate which is trying to control everything and you literally go against this computer and destroy it and you fight your own fate. Mm-hmm. And that's just a really interesting thing. Yeah. And that's very, as very much, a, to my mind, a JRPG idea, along with sort of the, again, the power of friendship or finding your, your identity is this idea of confronting your destiny. Um, like a lot of JRPGs in the time, you would like fight God and stuff like that. <laughs> you just be like, okay, yep. here's a bunch of kids with like swords and sticks, and we're gonna fight like the creator. <laughs> uh, but in, in, cross you literally do that you literally fight a thing called fate in all caps um to break your destiny and pursue your own path um a couple other what's another favorite character of yours on here i'm looking at a list of these characters right now there's a lot of them to remember yeah guile guile is one of them guile is yeah Um, he was one that i always had because i was like huh Maybe you're Magus. I just leave him in my party as <laughs> as often as possible. Um, well, there's an idea. What's what's a favorite party of yours? I was gonna say quickly. I think Nikki was the guitarist. So that's the other one. Uh, Nikki. Oh guitarist? yeah, the, the David Bowie character. Yeah, because I was a big fan of David yeah. Bowie. Um, oh, who isn't? Yeah. <laughs> but well, until I I had a, I had a default party that I would always use. Until I got to the point where I could use that party, I'd basically use anyone that I could. But my default party, right. w- once I got them, was always Serge, Kid, and um, Glenn. Always. Right. I would always um, default back think, to them. <laughs> yeah, I think Serge and Kid is, is like a no-brainer. Like, these are the two most important characters. You're going to use these characters. Or you should be. You should be ashamed if you're using like Macha and, and Orcha <laughs> over Surgeon Kid. How dare you? Um, and I think, yeah, I would either use Glenn or Guile. Um, I, honestly, yeah, Glenn, Guile, Surge, Kid are like top tier links, obviously, because you have to play as them. Um, Pip is an interesting character. Uh, and sort of referencing Pokemon earlier. Yeah. It's like one of the things, like why did they do so much for this character of Pip where it like changed over time and stuff like that. Whereas you have like a character like Norris that does like nothing. He's <laughs> just, he's just there. But Pip is cool in that it evolves over time based on 
things that you do in battle, if I recall correctly, um, like the kinds of elements that you use or something like that. Um, it can change into like a devil or an angel or an archdevil or an archangel form. That's interesting. It makes the character more than just, I got this character now. They're just going to stay in my roster unused. But it's still Pip at the end of the day. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> another part of the reason why I tend to use Glenn a lot is, and being a, such a big fan of Trigger, you'll probably agree with this, having moves that can, that where characters can do, can kind of work together um, is a big thing. So you had the, like the, the two-person text um, in Trigger. So you, you had Cro- mm-hmm. um, Chrono and Frog did their cross-slash sort of thing, X-slash or whatever it was called. Right. X-strike, yeah. That was it. Definitely. Um, yeah. Well, if you have um, Surge and um, Glenn in the party, they they can do it as well. And then yeah. if you have the twin, the, the dual-wielding Glenn, there's, you get three really cool like beams of light coming from the sword. And it just it, it makes it into one of the most powerful attacks you can do in the game, and that's cool stuff right there because that makes Glenn automatically like more important than Karsh or freaking <laughs> Zoa. Yes, <laughs> but yeah, oh god, <laughs> like, that helmet. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, what? What? That's a weird costume, sir. So yeah, lots of characters. Um, uh, there's a good handful of really great important characters. And then there are some characters that have really nice moments in the game. Uh, Lena is one uh, that's early on that, again, the game forgets about her like after like the first 10% of the game is over. But she does have really great early dialogue, I think, with, with Surge of sense of loss and longing and not belonging and all that sort of thing. That's really poignant, but um, you kind of wish that they'd done more with her. But they couldn't. So, it is what it is. Uh, what it, What are some of your favorite locations in this game? Favorite locations. So I love Chronopolis. I think when when I first got to Chronopolis, my I was like, "Whoa, where am I? What's going on here?" Um, yeah, probably can say, it's the wrong name, but the, it's what I always call it is the Frozen Sea. Um, mm-hmm. If you there's this one big like open area of sea which. Is, time has just stopped and you can walk on top of the sea that that's incredible um mm. and then i loved all of the dragon islands as well mm. uh i think one of my favorite places was the bend of time i think it was called the bend of time right it was sort of yeah. that secret area and it looked like the end of time from trigger yeah uh and you fight uh if i I should have looked it up first. You fight um, Ozzy Slash and Flea, or like a variant of them, or something That's like correct. that. Were they named Ozzy Slash and Flea? Yeah, I, th- I think were they Ozzy Flea and Slash. Yeah, they were. Oh, there they are. Yeah. Oh, uh, and they they resemble them Dragon Ball more than they did in my memory. But they were like a secret late game boss, right? If correct. I remember right. Yeah. yeah. Because I think I stumbled into them and just got my butt handed to me. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that was a that was a favorite location. I loved sailing. Um, I loved uh, Arnie, the village that um, Surge comes from. One of the most important pieces of this game to highlight its setting uh, and something that really this game could not have worked without was is the soundtrack. Yeah, um, it is one of the best video game soundtracks 
by far. Uh, it's it's unique. It has this amazing rustic, traditional, cultural, ethnic almost sound to it. Um, the first time I heard that Time Scar intro, I was just blown away by how beautiful that introductory cutscene is. It's I I had goosebumps for weeks after <laughs> this. So it's definitely an accomplishment by uh by Mitsuda. Um even in in um Bend of Time there's that amazing acoustic guitar. Acoustic guitar is kind of a really big instrument for this soundtrack too. Um and I like that it's a real recording. You can really hear the person's fingers sliding over the frets. It's the easiest way to explain it is I have this soundtrack added to my most my workday playlist um, on Spotify, I, but there's only two games I have where the soundtrack is added to that. One is Kudelka, and the other is this. <laughs> Should have guessed Kudelka. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you, it's a great relaxing soundtrack. It really is. <laughs> so you could, but you can imagine like if. I've put if this is the only other game apart from my favorite game of all time to have its soundtrack in that playlist that kind of explains exactly how much I love the, the music in this game. Yeah, and it certainly deserves it. Um a lot of JRPGs especially now seem to have very rock influenced um soundtracks. Uh this soundtrack is just amazing. It's it's so unique. Um, I don't know if anybody's listening to this who has not played Chrono Trigger. Or, I mean, Chrono Cross. I'm sorry, Chrono <laughs> Cross. <laughs> you will be. But, yeah, no, <laughs> uh, but if you haven't, one of the best things to experience uh, in Chrono Cross is uh, its soundtrack and its implementation of the soundtrack. Uh, the way that the music really helps the world to feel like it unfurls when you first enter the world map. Um, it just feels like it's it's such a welcoming, inviting, adventurous uh, song. So it, it's one of my favorites. It's an amazing soundtrack. We kind of already touched on gameplay. Um, you brilliantly discussed elements, um, the elemental colors, the innate abilities, uh, there were summons in this game, right? Yes. I just never used okay. them. I don't think most people did, because it's kind of hard to pull them off. You have to get the full... like, You have to get the color of the field to one specific color before you can even summon them. Right. Which is hard, especially... Because there's the basic thing, right? In, in, in most RPGs, they do this, right? Water and fire are opposed... Earth and wind are opposed and all that. But so if you're going to be using a fire summon, you want to use it against, you know, an enemy that's weak to that. But that enemy is not going to just not use spells <laughs> <laughs> the whole time you're fighting them. Yeah, exactly. So it you gotta, you've got to be really lucky, I find, with the summons, which is why I just I never even bother because it's just they're not really worth it, if I'm honest. Yeah. They, I mean, they do damage, and it's a it's a significant amount of damage, but the preparation and planning it takes to pull it off when an enemy can just throw a wrench in it is kind of rough. Um, and, but if they're helping you fill out that battle you know, element anyway, like let's say I really want to use the fire summon, and you're fighting fire enemies, 
then it's like, oh, it's kind of anticlimactic <laughs> in that sense. But um, the elements, the idea of having having your magic kind of attached to specific items that had to be equipped is, I think, something that Square was really playing around with at the time, right? We all know that um, in other Final Fantasies, they were using things like Materia. Um, they were using uh, things like the draw mechanic in Final Fantasy VIII. Um, going all the way back to Final Fantasy One, as you know, uh, spells had to be purchased. Yep. Um, a limited amount of spells that you could then assign to a particular person, which is basically what this is as well. Mm-hmm. So this is very much uh, in the same vein of a Final Fantasy thing, but it is it is innovative in its own sense still, because you have this idea of you have to uh, reach a certain amount of full stamina bars in order to unlock those spells. So you can't just open the battle with whatever you want from nice. your spells <laughs> roster. You can't just start the battle with nice of the round. You have to earn it first, basically. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice analogy. Uh, which makes dominance of elements even harder because you have to make sure that your elements are allotted in such a way uh, that your characters can access them even. Yep. Um, and then another weird little thing about that is... Um, so in Final Fantasy, for example... You, in FF7 with the materia system, you can you put your materia on and that's it. That's what you put in your slots. But in Chrono Cross, you've got your tablet item, for example, which is basically your, your default potion. To use that, it is also an element, and you also have to put it into those element slots. So you have to use up one of your slots for consumable items. Those consumable items also have an elemental um, like connection. So if you use a tablet or a potion, that is a red affinity. So if you're trying to get a full a full sheet of water so you can make a summon, but then you need to heal one of your characters and you use a tablet, you've actually lost that. So there's right, a lot of tablets were tablets were red, right? Yep. So there's a lot yeah. of planning that you have to do and a lot of strategy involved. And I love that because I love te- tactical things. I love strategy, so it works perfectly for me. Right. Now this is sort of a more tactical turn-based RPG then in that sense. Uh, Much more so than Trigger, which was more of an action RPG turn-based because they use the um, Square's uh, patented ATB system, which was not used in this game. It was not. Yeah. So you you still have a sense of pace and the pace of the characters because of the stamina bar. Um, like if you overuse stamina, then your character will, you know, be unable to be as effective for the next several rounds of combat. But there's not the same element of uh, action sensibilities. There's more of kind of a focus on tactical sensibilities. Now, a question that I wanted to ask you was, uh, you kind of answered this a bit earlier, but I wanted to pull a little more out of you. Uh We've seen Square play around a lot with the ATB system. Uh, it's something that they invented with 4, used in 6, used in Chrono Trigger. Um, it's sort of classic. It keeps turn-based battles a little more action-oriented. 
with cross they tried a lot of different ideas and all at once you've got the elemental affinities to think about you've got allotting elements and uh, consumables you've got the three different kinds of attacks the light medium and heavy with their own accuracy meters uh, what is a, another game that's perhaps closest to this kind of battle system wow <laughs> earlier you said that there's nothing quite like it which i get yeah. but what is something that's that's close closest. yeah Ooh. because it's interesting that that square later would after 99 they would still kind of play around with the atb idea um even up until final fantasy 10 and so on but they never really built off of or returned to the ideas that they used in cross no, not at all. Uh, like even in ten, because obviously in ten they did drop the ATB for the is it conditional ter term yeah, battle system. I, th I think they renamed it to CTB. I think it was yeah condition. I think it was condition, but I'm not mm -hmm. sure. But um, yeah, they never actually revisited this, and I'm trying to think what what's closest to it. Um, and honestly, I'm drawing a blank. Like. There's so many different battle systems out there, but none of them mix quite the same level of different mechanics. Yeah, which makes Cross complex. Um, to me, it was a double-edged sword because there's so many battles, and you can avoid certain battles too yep. um, in Cross, but there are so many battles that you have to go through that the complexity of the battles became wearing to me over time. But the boss battles where it's no holds barred where it's you really have to pay attention to how much stamina you're using and what the elemental affinity looks like i mean when fate i think it was fate when fate would uh make the entire board black <laughs> affinity and just wipe you <laughs> i was like dang <laughs> because that affects i don't think we mentioned this the 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 elements on the elemental affinity field affect the effectiveness of the next spells that are going to be used. Yep. So if you have, say, all black, and then you cast a darkness or gravity spell, it will be doubled in strength, I think. Yeah. So you could get smashed real fast if you don't know what you're doing. Okay, so this is from Sanity Crypto. Who said, as someone who's never played Chrono Cross, is there any non-spoiler-ish tips? I would prefer to go in blind so no strategy guides or walkthroughs will be utilized. Now, I did let him know that this is a spoiler cast, so he probably won't be listening. But <laughs> for the sake of anybody else, uh, <laughs> I think that definitely one thing to get a handle on early in Cross is the elements and how they work and affinity. Because you could get shellacked yeah, if you don't know what you're doing. I think anyone who's playing this, the first thing you want to do, right? Because when the game starts, you get this kind of opening, which is kind of, you get a little prequel section almost. Um, and in that section, you get to try out Serge, Kid, and a random character, which is still really cool because you're different every time. Um, but they all have diff like a, just a preset number of elements of different levels. And you can use that time and those battles to get your head around the battle system and the elements. So don't skip through that bit as quick as you can. Use it to get your head around the system and you'll enjoy the game a lot more. Yeah. 
Uh, definitely the case. I think that if I'd known that on my first playthrough, probably would have enjoyed the first playthrough more. This is a game that um, resonated more that I played it. The more that I played it, um, after a couple playthroughs, I was like, okay, I get, I get the the uniqueness of the battle system. Uh, I get the 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 value of the elements. It's kind of like you're. You're almost expecting the elements to not be that significant because there's so much customization involved, you know, and you're thinking materia and that yeah. sort of thing. Like, oh, I could just slap whatever I want in here. No, you kind of have to give a little more thought to, you know, um, all the w- the ways in which you're using elements. Especially at the end of the game with that final it's, boss. Yeah, which the whole game hopefully has been training you. <laughs> to to think about um one of the coolest things in terms of gameplay is on a new game plus uh you can get a machine i think it was that can fast forward yeah. uh your stuff i wish that there was a, a code that i could use to get that on my first time through <laughs> because i've played this game so many times but uh the new game plus uh, mechanic is something that obviously was used in trigger, but using it here again, it, it's really cool. You mentioned replayability earlier with characters. Um, you kind of get another chance to take different story paths and meet different characters and recruit different characters. And then there's something that lets you pick up characters you recruited from the previous playthroughs or something like that. Yep. There is an item you can, that you have, which um, you can kind of, bring the people from your previous playthrough back into your party so on a new game plus it is possible to get every single character how many playthroughs does it take to get every single character i think if if you're good enough and better than me you can get them in two (laughs) i think but i normally do do it in three yeah i've never done it in two i mean it might be possible i'm sure it probably is somehow but I've never managed it. Yeah, you'd probably have to use a guide uh, or at some point. Because, um, yeah, th- that would be pretty hard to make all the correct choices to get all the characters without really knowing what you're doing. Uh, any more thoughts on gameplay? Um, Not really. I just, just that I think everyone needs to give it a try because... But then go in there expecting it to be hard expecting it to be difficult and get ready to use your brain because it's not no offense to trigger but trigger is much more of a a traditional rpg you go into a fight you press your attack you press your magic and you do it this game you really have to think it's much more of an adult game in that sense Mm -hmm. yeah there's no there's well like we were saying earlier there's less emphasis on action and time and more emphasis on strategy and tactics so i don't think that i'm trying to remember i don't think i got a game over on my first playthrough in in trigger but i most certainly got several game overs in cross on my (laughs) first playthrough because the game yeah the game does not care for you if if you're gonna mess up affinities and elements and and you know God forbid, switch to a different character and forget to load them out with with elements or something like that, and then oh. you're in a boss fight, and you're like, sweet, so I got no elements. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So, yeah, give it a try. Cross, it's different from Trigger. 
um, it is its own entity. It is its own thing. As its developers made clear as many times as they could, it is not a sequel to Chrono Trigger. If the developers say that, then that is what it is. It is their baby. It's their project. Um, if they don't believe it's a sequel, then it's not a sequel. Um, so let's cover a couple questions here. This is from Aros Elric on Twitter. Uh, who said, excited that you're covering Cross. Got two questions, actually. Does the color-coded combat spell system innovate or inhibit the gameplay? And he says specifically compared to its predecessor, but let's just answer that just in brief because we kind of touched on that. Um, color-coded combat, does it does it really in innovate or does it inhibit? I think throughout the entirety of the game, it innovates. I think it's incredibly entertaining um and i like i think it adds challenge where but not to the point where it challenge for the sake of challenge it's challenge for a reason it's implemented well and it's not that hard to get your head around mm -hmm. the only time it inhibits is that a final boss fight if you don't know what you're doing and you don't plan ahead yeah then you're gonna die yeah <laughs> hopefully you saved yeah <laughs> he also asked should an hd remaster be put out bundled with chrono trigger and radical dreamers yes yeah that's a <laughs> no-brainer yeah yes please square if you're listening please do that that would be so awesome thank you very much i mean they released a mana collection yeah I'm sorry a mana collection of games uh they could definitely release chrono cross chrono trigger and radical dreamers that would be amazing Okay, so this is from Gamified Dad on Twitter. Since there are so many characters, which character do you identify with most? Most importantly, here they ask, uh, which one needs more background story time? That's an interesting question. What's a character that you specifically wish they'd fleshed out more in Cross? Guile. I Darn wish. It. That makes me I... sad. <laughs> I. I'm glad that they did the retcon later on, uh -huh. but I wish they'd put more into it. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say Pip. No, just kidding. <laughs> You're like, fair enough. <laughs> no, Poshul, definitely. Definitely Poshul. Yeah, Poshul. I would have loved to <laughs> have gotten the motivation of Poshul. Like, let's say his parents were killed by the Empire, <laughs> and you know he had to leave and go and get the legendary sword to fight the Lord of Darkness. Uh, Poshul. See, I just wanted to know what his favorite type of dog biscuit was. Yeah. Why is he pink? That's a great <laughs> yeah. question. Or she, I can't remember. Why is this dog pink? Anyways, uh, <laughs> this is from Super Donk Zero One. I loved this game. Severely underrated PS One title. I wish they would remake it. Uh, us too. We we both do definitely. Um, I do think that it is underrated to an extent. Uh, I read it got great critical acclaim when it when it came out, um, but it's not a game that too many people discuss or talk about um, too often, in my experience. What, what think, about in yours? I would agree. I think there there's there's a select few people out there who, myself included, will talk about it a lot. But I think it did suffer from the fact that if it had been called something other than Chrono, if it had just been released as Cross, I think it people would have talked about it a lot more but the fact yeah. that it the fact that it every so many people not everyone but so many people were expecting chrono trigger 2 it left a bad taste in their mouth and now they don't talk about it yeah 
that's probably the biggest theme of this podcast. Um, themes are important to me in this show. So, <laughs> uh, probably the biggest theme of this podcast is do not think of Chrono Trigger or as Chrono Cross as Chrono Trigger 2. It is not. Um, let it stand on its own two feet. It is its own entity. Obviously, it borrows, um, not borrows, it adapts and develops ideas from Trigger. Um, and it could not take place without Trigger, but I think it's best enjoyed when um, you're like, it's not Chrono Trigger 2. So, uh, <laughs> so this is from, this was a great discussion. This is from Sean Engel uh, on Twitter. Comment, finally talking about the better game, discounting nostalgia. <laughs> so uh, obviously we're not going to get into that. That's a whole other podcast in itself. <laughs> Um, one of the, one of the most interesting things to me, uh, in comparing these two wonderful games is somebody brought up that, um, the soundtrack in cross is better. Um, and so I tried to bring out from them, how do you, how do you measure the difference in quality between soundtracks? Because you've got the skill of the composition You've got the choice of the choices made, the sort of the design choices made in the competition uh, composition. You've got the skill of the instrumentation or the 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 playing of the music. You've got the uh, execution or presentation of the music within the game itself. Something that I thought was interesting is that Chrono Cross is a longer game than Chrono Trigger, but they actually have almost the exact same amount of tracks. So they both have three discs, and I think they're within like ten songs uh, difference between them. Wow! So, yeah, which is kind of unusual. Um, so that would reasonably mean that more songs are uh, used more frequently in Cross than in Trigger, where, for example, in Trigger, Corridors of Time plays like twice in the whole game. I think. Um, then you've got, you know, concepts of how are motifs and, and musical themes used. So I think that it's just a really, 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 one more really, really complex question to ask which of these two games are better. Um, we've sort of discussed a lot of that they're different from each other. Yep. But I think that you could probably write a book exploring <laughs> exploring uh the ideas of which which is better even just on the soundtrack i mean there's a lot there so thoughts on that um yeah i think i mean i mean you know where i stand on that argument of which is better anyway um <laughs> but i think it comes down to the fact that everyone connects with something slightly differently everyone sees like the, when I was studying psychology in A-levels at school, so basically college for you guys, um, one of the things that we said was, and we figured out, was that there's no such thing as a true definitive reality because reality is defined as the the norm that everyone experiences and no one experiences anything exactly the same. And that applies to the, these two games so perfectly because you ask person A which soundtrack they prefer, they'll prefer Trigger. You ask person B, they prefer Cross. You ask person A, 
which story they prefer. They might prefer cross, whereas Beam prefer cricket. And everything is so different that, right. that no one, neither one of them can really be said as legitimately as it's better than the other. All you can say is it's better for me. Yeah. So this is this is a point at which it becomes it becomes to my mind two different conversations. Um so like you use the term preference there. Yeah. Um when somebody says that they prefer uh chrono cross or somebody says they prefer chrono trigger, essentially there's no argument. Essentially. Agreed. Because I cannot argue somebody into disagreeing with their own preferences. <laughs> like that's like literally their 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 favorites. I think you mentioned something like this earlier on this episode. Your your favorites or your memories, all right, are sort of your personality and like who you are is based on your memories. What you like is I think based on your memories, right? What you like is based on who you are and the experiences that you had in playing this game at certain parts in your life. And there is literally nothing you can do to eradicate that, nor would you even want to eradicate that. When somebody says this game is my favorite game, that's just their favorite game. Yeah. And there's no there's no there's no argument there, right? So then going <clears throat> it's kind of hard to phrase it, but go but going uh in a route that's perhaps different from that, uh we may not be able to perceive reality exactly 100% the same, but certainly there are things that we can agree upon based on uh, our mutual senses. So for instance, uh, we can both agree that Chrono Cross is a JRPG produced in 1999 by Squaresoft. Yeah. Right? So that yeah. seems to be an, an objective claim. We could both agree that the main characters in Chrono Cross are Surge, Kid, and Lynx, right? Yep. So I think that one of the most fascinating things to me that keeps me writing about games and examining and exploring and discovering games is this question of where lies the boundary between what is subjective, preference, and between what is objective. When you come down to a subject like quality though, here's, <laughs> here's where it turns into a giant can of worms, right? Yeah, so yeah, it, it's so humongous uh, that it's difficult having the conversation. Certainly difficult having the conversation on Twitter. <laughs> oh yes. But then if you think about it, though, because uh -huh. in the end, games are entertainment. Right. They they are art and they are entertainment. Mm -hmm. That's that is predominantly what they are. Primacy, yes. Um, if you were to look at say um, any other form of entertainment to create to determine specifically if something is better than something else, you have to have a mathematical calculation where one gets a higher score than the other one has to have a mathematically higher result. That means it is better. Turning entertainment into a mathematical calculation is nigh on impossible. People will people do it, their reviews with numbers based on, like even for movies, they'll base it on total number of sales, but then that comes into all the other things like, did it have the right marketing budget? Did it mm -hmm. get enough word of mouth? Did it, did it get released at the right time? There's all these other things which are nothing to do with the actual entertainment value of it. 
right. which affect that. So then that entire argument is gone. It's not a way of determining if it's better because there's too many external factors. Right. There is no scientific mathematical way to determine if a piece of entertainment is better than another piece of entertainment because you can't get rid of any external factors. Hmm. So, okay. <laughs> so I want to ask you a couple of questions here. So like games are made of math, right? Is sort of the yep. difference between the difference between games and film film yep. are made of films are made of film <laughs> but, unless they're digital yeah unless they're digital in which case they're made of computer generated oh films are made of imagery we'll say that films are made of imagery um games are made up of code uh yep. games are made up of math one of the the interesting things then about considering uh game quality then uh, to my mind, and this is something that I'm still trying to uh, develop as a personal thought and as a theory, which is that, so so you've just said that games primarily are, are a form of entertainment. Um, games primarily then are a product that you purchase in order to receive an experience out of. You would agree with that, right? Yep. Okay, so like the primary purpose of a game then is to provide an experience. And when the game does not provide that experience, uh, when the game does not function. So I, I think that uh, function and intention are integral to the experience that you as the consumer receive after purchasing this product. So if you purchase uh, we'll go back to dot hack because we were talking about that earlier, right? Yep. If you purchase dot hack, whatever the subtitle is, and <laughs> you play it uh, and it functions as intended, then that's good, right? Because it, it fulfills the purpose in sort of this, I think it's uh, an Aristotelian sense of good as, as good being that which uh, is whole or functional or uh, fulfills a certain role. Um, but then you purchase another dot hack game, let's say the sequel for the sake of this hypothetical uh, argument, uh, and it does not function as intended. Let's say you know it has glitches in its mathematical code, mm -hmm. um, and you know it prevents you from reaching the end sequence because let's say the boss has an end ga uh, game ending glitch or there's bugs, or it has frame rate slowdown that prevents you from enjoying it. Any number of possibilities. Um, let's say you know it was translated. This was an issue with some Super Nintendo games. Um, it was localized, and during the translation, they couldn't fit everything in the story, so they actually cut content from a complete story. So in, in this regard, and this does happen with games, I mean, games come out broken, and they need to be fixed. Um, Fallout 76? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, it does happen. So this is not purely hypothetical. So then in this sense, though, you as the consumer have two options that, to my mind, are on two different uh, fields of context. On one, you could say, you know, your preference. You can explain, I prefer... Um, this game over that game. You prefer perhaps the first game, which works smoothly, over the second game because it doesn't work smoothly. Or 
you can still prefer the second one because it has a character you really like or it has predominant use of color that's your favorite color, any number of personal reasons. Um, the point being there that people's preference seems to not always correlate with a game's internal quality or intrinsic quality. Sometimes it's a quality that they bring to the game. I like uh, a certain style of music. This game emphasizes that style of music, therefore I prefer that. But that's actually a different statement to saying the first game is better than the second game because as a in the context of it being a product that has to provide an experience, it actually prevents you from experiencing that experience for which you purchased it. So, so that's kind of the theory that I'm working on. I don't know if your college professors are listening and they're like, that's full of malarkey, but... <laughs> I would agree with it because, again, I mean, in, in, my, in my day job, I'm looking at mathematical equations all the time. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I, I, review, I review games, I do, and mm -hmm. I use a numerical thing, but I always, I always state that my reviews are my own personal opinion of something. Right, yes. And as soon as you get into opinion, it is no longer objective the mm -hmm. only way to say as you say the only way to say this game is better than this game is objectively that is the code that is functioning in that game working better than it is in this game right that now, is quite literally what it boils down to does that game function better than that so right. for example you can definitely say the likes of Bubsy 3D is a very bad game yeah. because <laughs> it doesn't function the jump system doesn't function the gra graphical nature is does it remove it detracts from all kinds potential entertainment because again the graphics the graphics don't function that mm -hmm. game doesn't function right. Assassin's Creed Unity when it came out it didn't function correctly yeah. it was a bad game right now now again somebody might prefer those games there might be somebody yes. on Earth whose favorite game is Bubsy 3D not impossible because those two things are actually separate considerations right yeah yeah exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> there is a lot there. Then the question becomes, um, what parts of game architecture, what design choices facilitate that experience for which you purchase the game? Those which, like, let's say a design choice. Now we're kind of kind of getting away from just core code. A design choice, and this is, a, is something I've been playing around with too. I'm sorry to put all this on you. You're like, stop. All right, <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Is, uh, uh, one idea is the utility of graphics. You hinted at this earlier when you said graphics just don't work, right? So let's say you're playing um, a game and the contrast of the visuals is so low that you're unable to tell the difference between objects on the screen you can't differentiate between your character and the enemy in the background you're unable to play the game essentially because of a design choice the design choice being a visual design choice the contrast is too low now setting all that aside so you know people kind of ask me where are you getting this idea of like so what what measurement are you using what's your criteria i think that the criteria for criticizing any form of entertainment is developed by the society in which those entertainment forms take place. Just like the Greeks invented, you know, theater and the play and popularized all those things, they also had theater critics. 
because that was something that they popularized. So the critics, part of that civilization was developing this kind of critical eye for those things. So I think part of our civilization is developing a critical eye for games as far as that can go. Now, given that I don't think that it's a 100% thing, there is no 100% either way, I don't think. Um, maybe we'll wake up tomorrow and there'll be like an article by IGN that says, finally, we discovered everything is 100% subjective. And I'll be like, okay, somebody yeah. <laughs> discovered it. It was a scientific discovery. There you go. But I think that, again, the thing that fascinates me about game design and, and game discovery and analysis is where are those borders? Where is the border between we can make this objective observation about the game and we can make you know, these assumptions uh, about what our preferences are. We can have opinions which are informed opinions, or we can have opinions which are uninformed opinions. So like if you're playing, you know, let's say if you haven't played Cross at all, or you've only played five minutes and you're like, that game sucks. I'm going to tell you your opinion is wrong because <laughs> it's uninformed. You just haven't gathered enough data to make an opinion based on that. So I'm sorry, not all opinions are valid just because they're opinions. Some opinions are wrong, uninformed. Some opinions are downright evil. They're hateful, you know, and so on and so forth. Um, hopefully you don't have any of those opinions in games themselves. But then the difficulty becomes Chrono Cross and Chrono Trigger are both masterpieces. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you do? <laughs> what do you do? Neither of them yeah. have game-breaking, you know. Bitches or anything? No. Yeah. No, and that's the point. It comes down when someone says, "I think Trigger is the better game," or "I think Cross is the better game," and you ask them why. It comes down to preference every time. Yeah, if they because say you... preference in advance, great, wonderful. Yes, if they throw that in the end, uh, after you know making what sound like objective claims, then we, I think when somebody makes an objective claim like, um, shoot. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like one. Trigger has by far the better storyline. Okay. That's that an objective is, claim. That is an objective Apparently. claim. Then you have to, then the claim at least is, is one that claims to objectivity. But then you have to ask, how do we evaluate storytelling? And that's been yeah. done for years because of the development of literature. But... I think that most people that are just making a claim aren't necessarily equipped by a history of critical thinking to be able to say what stories are better than the others. Now, certainly you and I can think of, like I can think of just bad storytelling. I can yeah, think of I can. bad stories, like where yeah. it's just you didn't develop this character correctly. You didn't develop this character at all. This character does things that are out of character uh, and His all character is entirely a Mary Sue, for example, right. or something like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah, that's pretty objectively poor storytelling. But again, with Chrono Cross, Chrono Trigger, I don't think we have a bevy of those things. So <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot there at the end. I think we end loaded this podcast with all yeah. the exposition. Kind of fitting, really. Kind of fitting. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, um, let's see if we've got any other questions on here. Uh, this is from Maxu ABWFR, who said, I still haven't beaten Chrono Trigger, so Chrono Cross don't have any question in my mind. However, looking forward to listen to this episode with Dad. Heck yeah. 
The internet's dead, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Uh, this is from the Backlog <laughs> Odyssey. I absolutely love Chrono Trigger, but try as I might, could not get into Chrono Cross. As someone who gets overwhelmed by the gazillions of characters and battle system, how would you convince me to pick it up and play it again? That is a beautiful question for you, sir. How would you convince someone who was, sounds like burned by Cross before to give it another shot? Um, because it sounds like they were specifically burned by the number of characters. And the fact of the matter is, a uh, large majority of those characters are entirely optional. Mm -hmm. You don't need to worry about them. So, really, whenever you see someone, a character that has a, a face, an actual face image, mm -hmm. have a look at them, see if you like them. If you don't, know that they will, there will be an option, and just ignore it. Because then you don't have to worry about the characters. Instead, go back, in, play with the battle system, and just have a look at it and give it a go you never know if you ignore the if you ignore the, the wealth of characters and choose your favorites maybe you'll enjoy it mm, that's great that's great this is from the war in our star on twitter uh who said regarding the elements think of these as a predecessor to borderlands elemental damage if you can turn the field all one color abilities of that color are doubled in strength and you can use the corresponding elemental summon but enemies have the same plan and logic strategy so something we kind of touched on earlier, but interesting that they mentioned Borderlands. Now I haven't really, I've only played Borderlands one, so I can't really question, like argue against or agree with that. <laughs> okay. And I haven't played any of them, so we'll just have to take their word for it. This is from Chris at Overthinkery, AKA the sometimes vaguely philosophical mage. Of the loose ends, Cross picks up from Trigger. Do you think it ties up most in a way that's satisfying to you? Are there any clear instances of answers where you'd have preferred something different or for the question to not have been asked or answered, beg your pardon, at all? So we did talk about Magus hmm. uh, quite a bit, but to close out this podcast, satisfying resolution to ideas or thoughts from Trigger and any clear instances of answers where you'd have preferred something different or for the question not to have been answered at all. Um, I don't can't think of anything where I would wanted wanted it to be different, which kind of also answers the first one in a way. But then it's worth mentioning that I'm satisfied with the resolution in that I think it was resolved in the way it should be. But satisfaction in terms of happiness is definitely not a thing, because the resolutions are not positive ones in every case there are some but some of it is a very negative resolution but it is a resolution that i think works mm -hmm. i would agree with that yeah i think it's something you have to be aware of when you go into this game is it's not going to be plain sailings you're not going to be smiling the whole way through mm -hmm. you're going to get the resolution that you want from trigger all those questions that trigger aren't left unopen left open you they will be resolved and they'll be neatly finished but not necessarily in a way that will make you smile but you'll still really appreciate where the story went, how it finished, and then how it all kind of comes back together at the very end as well. Yeah. Perfect example of, of something that we haven't mentioned that I think uh, ties into this is what happened to Robo from the first game, uh, becoming yes. pro the Prometheus Circuit. Um, right? That's what it was, Prometheus Circuit, right? Yep, the Prometheus yeah. Circuit. Um, that 
is like slightly horrifying to me <laughs> of like his, yeah. his his destiny but it is a resolution to that character so it perfectly fits in with what you're saying these are not the happiest of resolutions for these characters um, that were so beloved in Trigger but they are nonetheless part of uh, this this new world and this experience that they put together and it's a suitable one too for, for pretty much every character what happens to Luca is suitable because she fulfills what she, the, the kind of character she is. She's a caring person. She creates the orphanage, but she's also loyal, and therefore she doesn't. She and that's what basically leads to her end, her loyalty. So that it fits her character. Robo always wants to help people and wants to do what's right, and he ends up becoming the Prometheus Circuit in order to help Balthazar do what's right for the universe. So. That it's not a happy ending, but it's the right ending. Yeah, very well said. Um, even the, during the final credits, you kind of get these uh, these video clips of a blonde girl in a startlingly modern setting, walking along railroad tracks, standing in front of skyscrapers, uh, which I always thought was just real unusual. But then you remember this archipelago was sort of a pocket in this world, so. I think that was supposed to be uh, Scala or Kid, right? At, yeah, in, I believe so. In the credits, sort of experiencing and being free and experiencing the world and all that. It is a resolution, um, if like a slightly ambiguous one at the end. But I think that ending on that note, there's this beautiful music that has a hint of sadness to it and yearning. Um, it's a great way to kind of close out the game. So... Uh, I can't think of a better way to close out this podcast than talking about that. Dad, thanks for joining me. Appreciate it. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. <laughs> no problem. Hopefully we can have you on again sometime, and I won't keep you for such a long period of time. Well, that's it for our Chrono miniseries. We've been able to cover Chrono Trigger in depth, and we've had our Chrono Cross episode now. It was sheer ecstasy for me personally to be able to talk about these games at such depth. They're some of my personal favorites. So thank you very much for following along with this series. And I'm sad that it's over now, but you know what? There's a lot more games to talk about. There's more people to meet and more discussions to have. See you next time. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. If you liked it, please like, subscribe, and share this episode to help us reach a wider audience. If you enjoy our work, please consider supporting us and our vision for the future of civil gaming conversations with a monthly pledge of any amount at patreon.com forward slash the well-read mage. This episode may be over, but the legend will live on, passed down by the dwarves, the elves, and the dragons. Hey, stranger, buy me a drink and I'll tell you a secret. Thank you. Now, about that secret. If it's video game and video game music discussion you're after, seek out the Little Fella Media Network at buzzsprout.com. Legend has it that there is a podcast there, hosted by a skeleton, known as the ABXY Mage, from thewellreadmage.com. Go. See for yourself. It's called Side Quests. And it's about video games and video game music. 
And if you are leaving now, take me with you. <laughs>